We arrive at the clearing at dusk. As soon as I get here, she can smell me. Smell travels exceedingly fast. Ben Killam steps out of the truck and pours some crushed kernels of corn in piles on the ground. As he does this, a large pregnant black bear wearing a GPS collar silently emerges from the woods and pads her way toward him. She walks straight up to Ben and with a soft look in her eyes, places her forepaws on his chest. Ben opens a packet of Oreos and gives her one, then another. You're a good girl. Back in the truck, Ben watches her amble toward the pile of corn. Squirty is taking her time. What is Squirty doing right now? She's licking up corn one piece at a time. It'll take her 45 minutes to finish that small <laughs> amount of corn. Why does she do it so slowly? That's how bears eat. Ben raised Squirty and two of her seven-week-old siblings after they were separated from their mother during a logging operation that had disturbed her den. He filled in for her missing mother, bottle-feeding her at first, then, when Squirty was old enough, taking her for educational walks in the woods. He taught her what to eat, how to den in winter, and eventually when to walk away at the age of 18 months, a now independent young cub fit to fend for herself in the wild. Just like any young bear would do, as Ben described to a group of logging students on an autumn afternoon hike. The cubs are born in mid-January in the dead of winter, and they're born weighing less than a pound. Their eyes are shut, their little ear flaps are down, and they continue to develop in the winter den uh, and are not even able to physically follow their mother until they emerge from the dens in April and she doesn't really start to travel until late April. And by the middle of May, the cubs can follow along behind her and, and she'll move to better feeding grounds. And they'll spend all summer with her, den with her that winter, and family breakup occurs in about June when the male shows up. This is how the story is supposed to go. But black bears are a managed, not an endangered species. So cubs can become orphaned at quite a clip during hunting season, or if their mother gets hit by a car, or if she abandons them when the beechnut crop is poor, and times are just too lean. That's where Ben Killam steps in. You know, I can look back to when I first met Ben, and it was at a difficult time for me because I had some bear cubs that I didn't know what to do with. Forrest Hammond is a wildlife biologist with the Vermont Fish and Wildlife Department and the program director of Vermont's Black Bear Program. He's the one who brought Ben his first bear cubs. In talking with Ben, it was just fascinating. Ben's theories on how you might actually return a bear cub to the wild, to be a wild bear, and totally different than anything that I knew being done. He believed that a bear cub needed nurturing very much, and that a person could be a mother figure that really went against anything that we knew. Ben Killam is one of the foremost black bear behavioralists and cub rehabilitators in the country, and the star of several nature documentaries which highlight his work. He's also the author of one book, Among the Bears, and a second recently published called Out on a Limb. 
But Ben doesn't manage to do all this on his own. This is my sister Phoebe, and Phoebe does the day-to-day -day care of the cubs and does the GPS data work that we do. We have 10 bears with GPS collars. Phoebe does indeed carry a heavy load, enough to help feed at times as many as 20 orphaned bear cubs, all living in an eight-acre enclosure near Ben's home in Lyme, New Hampshire. Phoebe, what is important to you about this work with the bears? I guess the important thing to me is just this, when you see these sad orphans, is just to see them get a twinkle in their eye and start to play when they come in so sad and so thin. And it's really tragic to lose a mother. That's really, really hard. And when I look at the first pictures of them when they come in, they look sad. But it, after a little while, they start to play and be much more... This group seems very relaxed together, amazingly relaxed, but it takes a little time. Neither Ben and his wife Debbie, nor Phoebe, have any children of their own. But Phoebe's nurtured baby raccoons and an otter over the years, and when she has a spare moment, she likes to paint. Ben's a gunsmith and a maverick. He does things on his own terms and without government funding, as he explained to the logging students during a downpour. Do you get uh, funded for any of this? Well, most of it over the years has been, my wife is, has a steady job, has been the primary funder. And uh, more recently, the GPS collars have been bought by a couple of landowners that have means inside my study area. I'm dyslexic and have no PhD, so I have no formal means of, of attaining funding. But uh, the fact is I've been learning far more than most PhDs. <laughs> and the reality is I've developed my own methods for my own skills, and they, they've turned out to be very, very powerful. Ben's unorthodox perspective didn't come without a price. You know, I'm working at the level of other PhDs, but I, I have to be able to talk to them, so I have to be able to learn their words, which is a real pain in the neck. But Ben's had little difficulty learning the language and customs of the black bear. Proof of his success? Some of his orphans have unfortunately grown up, gotten released, and then gotten shot by hunters or homeowners. One of Ben's closest relationships was with Yoda, a female cub who became an affectionate and gentle bear who liked to lean back on Ben and toy with his watch. She was shot by a hunter as she exited her den one winter. They're all tagged. You know, if we didn't tag them, they'd live forever. <laughs> but it's difficult, and it's, there's times when it's more difficult. Yoda's death was more difficult because it was done by somebody on purpose. It wasn't just an accident. You know, you, accidents happen, and even a collar cannot be seen at times, and that's just a matter of fact. You know, we like it not to happen. You know, these animals are, we, we get invested in the research end of them. You know, a lot of data is collected, and then boom, you lose them. And there's also, like with everything else, you're attached to anything that humans are. That's our natural capacity is being attached to things. When I think about getting back in touch with you every time, there's a certain fear that I have, is Squirty still alive? I'm afraid to even find out. Of course, Squirty is hearty and smart and a good survivor, but you never know. I'm afraid to ask you. Well, the reality with these bears is the longer they live, the longer they're gonna live. 
and it's the young ones that it's young and dumb, and that's true with any species. You know, young deer get run over by cars. The mom knows how to cross the road. She looks both ways, but she goes across, and then these little guys go boom, 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 and, you know, car wax them. And that's, that's just life. But so far, Squirty, his star bear, is a survivor. She's now 16 and has had eight sets of cubs, most recently triplets. Do you think that Squirty still thinks of you as her mother? She doesn't think of me uh, necessarily as her mother, but she does treat me like a bear. There's no separation in how she behaves towards me and how she behaves towards other bears. But Squirty uh, lets me touch her, lets me change the collar without sedating her, and will bite me if I do something wrong. So <laughs> I have to obey Squirty's rules. But in the hierarchy, Squirty's number one, I'm number two, and then the rest of the bears uh, that she shares her home range with. So maybe you're just kind of a old, retired mother. Well, basically, Squirty understands that I have value and that there's a reciprocal relationship between us, a social contract, if you will. We're in the truck, listening to Ben's tracking device. If you were to exclaim, if you were to shout out in pain after Squirty bit you, punished you, how would she react? How would she look? Well, she always does the same thing. She reconciles right away. She goes into a soft, repetitive moan of reconciliation because the bites are punishment and they're, they're moralistic punishment. And she's not doing it to harm me. She's doing it to correct my behavior. Each evening, Ben drives to the clearing to watch and feed Squirty and any other bears she's willing to share the bounty with. On my second visit, I saw not only Squirty with three cubs, but two other mothers, one with triplets, one with twins, and one lone adolescent. They all munched silently on the corn, which is a sensitive subject, as Forrest Hammond explains. Oh, there's not a, a doubt at all that uh, when you feed bears, uh, then you're going to dilute the information you get on bear behavior. Um, and so that has to be taken into consideration, and Ben has dealt with that for a number of years. Without that as a tool, though, you just wouldn't be able to work with bears in the wild, and, and so it, it is a tool that he uses to a very limited extent. Uh, of course, it's very controversial because we overall recommend against feeding bears. But Ben Killam persists and gets results. Food is, is expected to be shared unless it's otherwise defended because if it weren't, you know, there'd be bears that wouldn't get any food. And so if Squirty leaves some food and goes off to go to bed, she doesn't expect it to be there when she comes back. And if she wants to retain the food that she has, she'll place herself on top of it and then return to it and finish it off. She'll defend it. And if she doesn't want another bear to have access to it all, she'll bury it. Ben insists he's basing his views not on theory, but on evidence he's seen with his own eyes. Bears punish, and it's part of their social behavior. And because they share food, they have to have a mechanism to keep cheaters from dominating the food sharing process. And it's just like human behavior. We have to have a judicial system. Otherwise, those who want to not comply with the system will dominate and control. Ben's second book, aptly titled Out on a Limb, 
takes these observations about bear behavior further and explores the controversial conclusions he draws from them. Basically, he argues that the social behavior of bears, itself a point of contention, parallels early human behavior and can be seen as a model for our own species. Forrest Hammond. He's a behavioralist in, in looking at social interactions of bears. It, I think it's his responsibility, what he wants to do is to step outside of what most people are comfortable with and then trying to test this information. Uh, he's certainly done some work uh, trying to look at self-awareness among bears, something that was a big deal with chimpanzees and Jane Goodall and, and that type of, of work there. Um, he's a pioneer and we're all gonna learn from that. What Ben has learned often runs contrary to conventional wisdom. Well, the scientific community today still believes the black bear and the other species of bears to be solitary animals. But what I found is that bears share surplus resources and they uh, understand the value of property ownership and access to those resources. So if Squirty has a surplus, she's willing to share it under the conditions that there's reciprocity taking place and nothing is given away for nothing. And so social exchange has already evolved in the bears. And the bears, I believe, represent a pre-human animal that might have lived as much as six million years ago, millions of years prior to the time that most anthropologists believe that social exchange began in humans. So if bears are so socially evolved, why can't we all get along a bit better? Human-bear interactions are a major source of friction and usually occur when a bear takes a fancy to our trash cans or bird feeders. According to Ben, the cause of the problem is clear. It's not the bears. The bears are easy to deal with. It's the people. And the people are highly abusive and they don't cooperate. They feel entitled. They, you know, they have their, it's their right to leave food around. It's their right to have a bird feeder. And solving bear nuisance problems is simple. No attractants, no bears. But getting people to comply is impossible. It's become quite a fad to have backyard chickens. And then they shoot all the wildlife that comes near the chicken coop. Phoebe Hillam. About half of these cubs came because their mothers were shot in chicken coops. And the people didn't look to see that there were cubs in the tree. And then afterwards they're sorry because they see the cubs, but it's too late. But I think these are, these are people that didn't think about it, just wanted to shoot the bear in the chicken coop. But the cost of raising these cubs is way, way above the value of the chickens. A mother bear is very hard to replace. And when you see Squirty and her cubs or any mother bear and their cubs, the mother's there 24-7. And she's big. And you can walk under her t stomach and you can hide on her and you can lean on her. It's much better to have a mother. It's much better not to shoot mother bears. So what can be done about this environmental and moral morass we find ourselves in? According to Ben, humans are overextended. Once we got our hands on all the technology and culture we managed to create, we developed too quickly for our own good. And now we're living in a world that can't sustain us, at least at the rate we're going. We're in a cultural evolution, which is going at warp speed. And unfortunately, with, with all of our intelligence, we have no concept of what our place is in the world. 
and I believe the answers are in the animals. I mean, the animals can tell us if we're willing to pay attention to them a lot about ourselves. And the comment I'm going to end up my book with is I hope we learn something before we eat the last one, because that's what we're doing. Our population is growing at such a rapid rate that we're going to consume every bit of protein that exists in the world. And, and we better start paying attention and learning from these creatures. Meanwhile, Squirty, who's been calmly continuing to lick up one kernel of corn at a time with that pink, powerful tongue of hers, slowly rises from the ground. Squirty's beginning to leave. There's plenty of corn left. Yeah, she's not that hungry. She should probably go over and eat apples now. And She's been eating beech nuts all day. She doesn't really need to come down here, but the Oreos were a big attraction. Can you see Squirty? Not anymore. She's gone around the corner. About time. It's almost dark, so time to quit. Until tomorrow. Until tomorrow. <laughs>